Good morning. Uh, we are in week three of this series that we started a few weeks ago, going through uh, the Apostle Peter's first epistle, his first letter. And I'm calling this series Living with Hope in a Difficult World because it was written to believers who were going through a time of tremendous difficulty. Just like the time that we're going through right now, there's a, a, a poses a lot of unknowns and a lot of difficulty in our in our current day and and so I thought about you know let let's go through this book and we're reading through it as we go through it and picking out different things and seeing what the Lord said to them and what he is therefore saying to us so uh, it was written to believers going through a tremendous time of difficulty and they were primarily Gentile believers and that's going to come into play a little bit later in the letter in particular but written primarily to Gentile believers living in what is now modern-day Turkey. Uh, these believers had converted to Christianity when they heard the good news of the gospel. They gave their, their, their lives to Christ. They, they, they put their faith in him. And contrary to what they possibly may have expected, um, it didn't mean a smooth ride from here on out. Things were... Uh, uh, not going very smoothly for them. Uh, in fact, they were facing a great deal of opposition for their newfound because of their newfound faith. So Peter wrote to encourage them and give them hope, and and strengthen them uh, as they uh, continue on in this new journey of theirs, this new uh, their newfound faith, this this new walk with Christ. And the passage we're looking at today builds on everything that preceded it. Uh, and it begins with the word so. It just begins with a simple word so in the NLT. Uh, in other translations, it's been translated therefore or so then. And what that is that 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 word is important because what it's saying is that what Peter wrote at the start of this letter uh, is the basis for the things that he's about to say, uh, about to go into now. So simply put, he's saying this, in light, when he says so, or therefore, in the light of what I've already written, which is that we've been chosen by God to be in his family, and because of that, our future is sure, our sufferings are not being wasted, but rather they're refining us, and the, and, and the bigger picture is being revealed to us. In light of all that, I am now saying this. So with that in mind, uh, that's kind of where he starts off with this. Let's pick up where we left off reading last week. 1 Peter 1.13. So, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Prepare your minds for action is literally gird up the loins of your mind. You see, in the day uh, uh, that Peter wrote this, you know, in that culture, people, they would wear long flowing robes, this long robe. And, you know, the, we've all seen the pictures and, that, and the portrayals of that. And the picture here is one of somebody getting ready to work. Somebody, they would, they would gather up the, the uh, uh, ends of their long robe and tuck it into their belt around their waist so they could work or they could run without tripping on the robe. It wouldn't get in the way of them. So they would gather up the, the folds of the robe and, robe and stick it in their belt. 
so he says, gird up the loins of your mind. And what that, so basically what that is saying to us is prepare to buckle down and get to work. It was, if Peter was writing this today, he would say, okay, roll up your sleeves and get ready to put your mind to work. That's important. Put your mind to work. Gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, start to think. We're going to start to think. You see, answering the call to faith does not mean that we shut off our mind. In fact, it's quite the opposite. When we come to faith in Christ, he renews our mind. Romans 12, 2 says, Let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is his good and pleasing and perfect. All of our lives, we've been trained to think according to the pattern of this world system. It's been ingrained to us from the day we were born. It's been ingrained in us thinking according to this world system. It's it, it, to, to, to not be affected by it would be like jumping in a swimming pool and expecting not to get wet. If we're surrounded by it, then we're affected by it. Well, the kingdom of God does not function according to the pattern of this world system. So we need to begin to transform our thinking. We need to begin to think differently than the way we have before we come to Christ, before we came to Christ. And as God begins to transform our minds, as he begins to cause us to, or to train us to think differently, he intends for us to use our minds. And there's three things about this that I want to point out for the believer. As we use our minds, there's three things that we need to do. The first of these is we need to learn to think biblically. Think biblically. And this involves critical thinking. Sometimes we can be afraid to think critically. We can be afraid to have to challenge anything that we've been taught, anything that we've heard, or, or, or challenge what somebody tells us. But critical thinking is important to the believer. And, and sometimes we're, we're afraid to do that. And I think maybe because it's, there's a misunderstanding of what critical thinking is. Because sometimes people can confuse critical thinking with a critical spirit. And there is a huge difference. Here's a good description of a critical spirit I came across, which I think does a good job of describing what we're talking about. A critical spirit dwells on the negative, looks for flaws rather than positive qualities in others. They're constantly complaining or criticizing and usually upset with something or somebody. They often have little control over their tongue and their, uh, uh, their temper and have tendencies for gossip, slander, strife, and malice. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We're all familiar with that. That's what a critical spirit is like. You could say it's an attitude of fault-finding is another way to say it. <laughs> On the other hand, critical thinking is the objective analysis and evaluation of an issue in order to form a judgment. Let me say that again. It's the objective analysis and evaluation of an issue in order to form a judgment. 
Critical thinking is not about fault-finding. <clears throat> it's about discovering facts, discovering truth. It's saying, okay, this is what I'm being told or this is what I'm reading. Is this really truth? It's not concerned with finding fault. It's not concerned with assessing blame at all. So whether we're examining a teaching or a proposed course of action, we need to cons be able to consider it through a biblical lens and think critically. In other words, is this really what the Bible says? Does this does this that I'm being taught does this that I'm being taught does it line up with what Scripture teaches? Does it line up with the way that that um, with with the ways of God, the ways that He would work? Not has he ever done this before? Because sometimes God does a new thing. But is this the kind of thing that, that God would do or that God would say? So, see, we need to use our minds to think. Too many believers out there just check their mind at the door and they don't think. We need to use our minds to think. We need to filter everything through a biblical filter. Is it scripturally sound? So, to prepare our minds for action... We use critical thinking to think biblically. Second, as we do that, it's important that we begin to learn how to discern truth. <laughs> I'm sure you know by now that not everything people tell, tell you is true. And, you know, as I'm talking about truth, <clears throat> I want to clarify, I'm not talking about my truth or your truth or their truth. I'm not talking about relative truth. Relative truth is a... I mean, our culture has tried to pull the wool over our eyes, saying, I have my truth and you have your truth. Truth is truth, period. That's it. Relative truth isn't truth. Either something is true or it isn't true. And if something is true and we don't like it, and we're free not to like it, but that doesn't, make, that doesn't mean that it's not true. Some things we hear are true and some things we hear are not. Some things are opinion and some things are fact. And we need, to turn, we need discernment to be able to tell between the two. This is especially true concerning things that aren't black and white. On those things, we need to use some discernment. And when uh, uh, we need to use our mind to discern truth. There's, in doing this, there's two common pitfalls that we need to avoid. <clears throat> and the first is... We need to be careful that we're not too naive. We don't want to be too naive. Now, that means to be lacking wisdom or sound judgment. Uh, it's being overly trusting, overly trusting. A naive person can be slow to recognize the presence of danger. Um, <clears throat> they are inexperienced. They tend not to be suspicious of another person's motives when wisdom would dictate that they should be. So it's kind of like Little Red Riding Hood looking at the big bad wolf dressed as her grandmother and not realizing that that is not her grandmother. Um, another pitfall, you know, would be being too gullible. A gullible person is one who will believe anything. They're easily deceived, they're easily conned, and they will believe anything. And I, uh, let me just say it right here and right now. Um, Microsoft is not going to give you 
$1,000 or $100 for every person you send this email to. You get emails like this or you get things, posts that say, you know, take this and copy and paste it and, and this will happen. Or Don't fall for that. You don't want to be gullible. Use your mind and think. Don't believe everything you see. Don't believe everything you read. Don't fall for everything you hear. No matter how right someone may, uh, someone's reasoning may sound. Remember, Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is death. Sometimes somebody will give you a really good argument for something, and you can't disprove it, but something in your gut is just telling you, this just doesn't feel right. Something is wrong about it. See, this is more important than ever in the age of the Internet and the age of satirical news sites or or, or fake news, you know, sometimes I'll see, um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see someone treat an article or a post from the Babylon Bee or the Onion and as if it's a real post and they don't realize it's, that's a satirical site and it's not meant to be taken seriously. They're making a joke. It's satire. Uh, but sometimes we can fall for those things. Uh, it's important to realize this in an age where it seems that almost everybody has an agenda that they're trying to push. Christians should be the most discerning of all people because we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And yet, at times, we can be the most gullible. You know, Jesus said in Matthew ten sixteen. he said, Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. We don't want to be cynical or suspicious all the time of everything, but we want to be biblically discerning. And we don't want to be naive and we don't want to be gullible. Um, remember, and this is all in the context of being in the midst of extreme opposition. So he gives them a word of encouragement and, and remember to, uh, 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 tells them to remember to, that the hope that they've been given, uh, remember that, and then he moves on to the main point. And the main point in this is the third thing, and that is to act like Jesus. Use your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Roll up your sleeves and think so you can act like Jesus. In verse 13, he said, prepare your minds for action, you know, exercise self-control. And then he says in verse 14, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back in your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Well, for one thing, it's not all about us. It's not uh, uh, all about satisfying our own desires. So he says, don't slip back into the old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now, now we do know better. He says, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. So now that you've placed your faith in Jesus, he's telling him, Gentile believers, new to the faith, now that you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've become his disciple, <laughs> live like him. Live like him. He says it's one thing when you didn't know any better. But Peter says now we know better. We have God's word to teach us. 
we have Jesus' example to follow. That means our lives are to be marked by purity and moral integrity. That's what living in holiness means. One commentary said this, said the basic idea of holiness in the Bible (laughs) is that of separation from all that is profane. And it continues saying that, that this includes various meanings translated into English as purify, sanctify, separate from, or delicate, or de- 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 uh, dedicate. And, you know, so in other words, it's, it's separated from something, from the way we used to live, some the th- from the things that identified our lives before, separated from those things and separated to Jesus Christ, living for him. And then the commentary sums it up this way, says the simplest understanding of holiness is that of loving conformity to God's commands and to his son. In other words, it all boils down to loving Jesus. That's what it boils down to. When you love someone, you live your life to please them. See, typically, so often we think, when we think of being holy, <coughs> right away we start thinking about not being able to do this anymore, or, or, you know, we can't do this, we have to do this. But in reality, it is so much simpler. We tend to complicate things so much. Being holy, simply about loving Jesus with everything in us. Boils down to that. When we love him, and he's the focus of our heart, We don't have to worry about trying to live a holy life. We'll find that we're just doing it. Because we want to live to be able to please him. It'll just come naturally. You see, what and how we think, that's not the only thing that matters. It also matters what we do. Because our thoughts need to be translated into our lives into action, into the things we do. How we live matters. The kingdom of God is not just something we talk about it. We live in it and we experience it. You know, you mentioned self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It has to do with how we direct our thoughts and how we allow our thoughts to determine our actions. Self-control is not just about saying no to certain things. It also involves saying yes to certain things. And discernment helps us to know what to say no to and what to say yes to. Self-control involves directing our thoughts and our energies towards certain things. It's how we say no to the things that would be destructive in our lives, things that would attempt to draw our hearts away from Jesus, And it's also how we're able to direct our energies toward things which would cause us to become more like Jesus. Peter encourages us to live our lives to please God. Not to satisfy our own wants, desires, urges, and feelings. So our number one concern is, God, you've chosen me. You've blessed me. And I'm living my life for you. So in the midst of everything that's going on around me, in the midst of the chaos and confusion that surrounds me, how can I best please you? Jesus, what can I do 
to best please you. That's what it boils down to. Because after all, Jesus gave his all for us. And that's what we're going to commemorate right now as we take the Lord's Supper, commemorate what Jesus did for you and did for me. 2,000 years ago, he went to the cross and he gave his life that we could live, that we could live, that we could know him, have relationship with him, that we could um, walk away from our old life and give ourselves completely and wholly to him. If you have your bread and cup with you, the Apostle Paul wrote about this in the book of 1 Corinthians. And he said that, on the, uh, that the Lord Jesus in the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Then Paul tells us, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. Paul then writes something. Very interesting. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Jesus is coming again. He is coming for his bride. He is coming for his church. He's coming for a pure and spotless bride. We need to be ready when he comes. We need to be living our lives in such a way that when he comes, he finds us doing his work. He finds us listening to the voice of his Holy Spirit leading us saying yes to the things that he tells us. We need to be about his work, sharing his word, sharing his message of love, so that when he comes back, he doesn't surprise us. And we don't have to say, Oh, I, if only I would have known. See, we never know when he's going to be here. Could be any time. Could be 100 years from now. We, we don't know that. And it's not our place to try to guess. Our place is just to live in a state of readiness. And that's what he empowers us to do through his Holy Spirit.
So as we look around us every day, as we talked about a moment ago, as we look around us, we need to use our minds and think and begin to interpret the the surroundings around us through the lens of his scripture and the lens of the spirit. Let's pray. Lord, you are coming back again. And I don't want to be caught unaware. I don't want to be caught surprised and unready. I want to be ready. So every day as I wake up, let me look into your word and spend that time with you that I, so that I'm prepared for the day for the things that you're going to lead me to. Lord, help me to not be so naive that I will accept and be anything and be overly trusting of anyone. Because you tell us there are wolves in sheep's clothing out there. And Lord, help me not to be so gullible that I'll believe anything. So let me be discerning. Let me be discerning and let me live like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. I love you, Lord, and I want to please you. Amen. Amen. Benediction for this morning. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. God bless you. Let's join in one more song of worship.